I don't know how this is going to end up today completely, but I can tell you this. For somebody that came here feeling hopeless today, and like you're just about ready to wash your hands of it and say, I'm done, and there's no way that God can fix this, I'm getting ready to preach to you. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Are you feeling the gravity of this question? Somebody shout, he's greater. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor has taught him? Somebody shout, nobody. With whom did he take counsel? Who instructed him? Who taught him in the path of judgment? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity and vanity. This verse right here is where I would like to draw our text from, and then we're going to bump over to 1 John 4 very quickly. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The question being asked here is how in the world and who in the world could you ever compare his greatness? He is that good. He is that big. He is that mighty. He is that strong. He has no opposite. He has no rival. He has no equal. There are none above him. There are none beside him. There are none beneath him. He is God all by himself. Hallelujah. I feel him here. Woo, I feel him here right now. Hallelujah. We're going to 1 John chapter 4. Verse number 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. This is speaking of the spirit of the Antichrist that now worketh in the earth. We don't have a lot of time to deal with that right this very second. But should the Lord will it, we will today. 1 John chapter 4 in verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. That work with the spirit of Antichrist. You have overcome them. Because greater is he. Somebody shout greater. Greater. Woo, I feel something greater than John Baptist here this morning. Because greater is he. That is in you. Than he. That is in. The world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I'd like for you to put your Bibles down with me today. We're going to lift our hands and our hearts towards heaven and praise a great God. The reason why I gave you simple prayer requests before I preach today is because I'm getting ready to preach to you about a simple word, greater. God is greater than the needs that we have brought before him today. And if you have a need in your life, I just want you to raise your voice and raise your hands towards heaven right now as we submit that, that need to God. Submit it with the understanding that he is greater. He is greater than sickness. He is greater than trouble. He is greater than mountains. He is greater than anything that we can or cannot see. Hallelujah. As you present that before the Lord, I want you to praise him in advance for his greatness. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Psalms 150 declares to us, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent Greatness. I wonder if there's anybody in the house that would praise him according to his excellent greatness. If you know that he's great, he is greatly to be praised. Would you lift him now? I feel him in the house. I feel him in the house. Hallelujah to God. Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. Find somebody close to you this morning and tell them he is greater. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. He is greater. Greater. I spent a lot of my day yesterday just seeking out direction from the Lord. This is the first Sunday of a new year, and it is an exciting time around FPC. There's really no way to measure the goodness of the Lord over the last year, the way that he has blessed us and he has kept his hand upon us. I think sometimes it's easy for us to and it's a good thing to give God praise for what he's done. Don't get me wrong. That's, we praise him according to his mighty acts. But I think sometimes we get so focused on what he has done for us that we may fail at other times to give him praise for the things that he has not done to us. That we fail to give him praise for the things that he has not allowed. The things that he has kept us from. It's, it's easy to begin to measure his greatness by the things that he has wrought in our lives. 
But sometimes the measure of his greatness is not just in what he has done. The measure of his greatness is realizing not just what he has brought us through, but what he has kept us from. The things that he has sustained us through that really at the time we didn't even know that he was working. The song that we sing often says, even when I don't see it, you're working. And when I don't feel it, you're working. These are the things that are so hard to praise him for because you cannot measure his greatness when you don't even know what he kept you from. So that's why the psalmist said we praise him according to his mighty acts. But we also praise him according to his excellent greatness. Because when I praise him for an act, I am measuring the greatness by what he did. But if I praise him according to his excellent greatness, I cannot measure my praise because he's just that great. If I praise him for healing my body of the flu, then I have measured his greatness by the flu. You understand what I'm saying? If I give him praise that I was in a car accident and I was okay and nobody got hurt and that was all good, then I've measured his greatness by the accident. You understand what I'm saying? But true revelation of greatness cannot just be measured by the measure of a man to say, God healed my marriage. God healed my children. God put my family together. God saved my mother. God saved my child. God saved. God did. God did. We begin to measure him by what he did. But I'm so glad that the psalmist did not just tell us to praise him because his acts are mighty. He said every now and then you've got to step away from the picture and the window that you've been looking through. It's, it's easy and we should do it to get down on our face and say, I thank you that you kept me through the night. I thank you that you kept your hand on my family. I thank you for my job. I thank you for finance. I thank you for a car. I thank you for gas. We should do that. Never stop being thankful for the things that he has done. But do not let the things that he has done limit his greatness in your life. Your perspective of God has got to be greater than just what he can offer you. This is relational teaching and understanding because I did not marry my wife for what she could do for me. I married her to build relationship with her, to raise a family with her, to work in the kingdom of God with her. You cannot measure the love of somebody by what they have to offer you. My wife can tell you that I did not marry her because her credentials were that she was a five-star chef in a private millionaire's home. I didn't marry her for her cooking skills. Now, I will say I married her because she was pretty stinking good looking. Thank God some things never change, baby doll. Except for me. But I have kept my hair. I have kept my hair. And she's rejoicing for that right now. Hallelujah. But the problem with prosperity theology and doctrine is that we begin to measure the goodness of God based either on triumph or tragedy. 
on how he has come through or did not come through. And that's what gets dangerous. When somebody says to us, if you will give financially $1,000 and sow that seed into this ministry, then God is going to give you increase. And so then we start playing a game with God that uh, it's kind of like the petticoat law. That I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. Now here's something that's got to change in our perspective of who he is. I am grateful for every blessing in my life. I thank God for a healthy wife, for three healthy children. I thank the Lord for a home. I walked through my house last night before I went to bed. I just walked through the house and I thanked the Lord for a warm place to be last night. I thanked him for a warm bed. I thanked him for a place that I could walk around. He's been very, very, very good to me. But this is what I want you to understand. If I lose my house today, he's worthy. I'm very thankful that we have a couple of vehicles that we drive around. But if I start walking everywhere I go tomorrow, he is still great. He does not stop being great because I am measuring him by what he has done or not done for me. The bottom line is that God is great. He's great when I feel like he's great. He's great when I've been blessed. He's great when I've been increased. But he's great when I'm in the valley. He's great when I'm sick. He's great when I'm down. He's great when I'm up. Somebody shout, he's great. He's great. He's just great. God is great. When I was a kid, my family always taught me to be grateful for my food. And am I forever more grateful? But we had a little simple prayer that I prayed and more than likely you prayed as well. When I, as a child, would bless my food, I would begin by saying, God is. Come on now. Somebody help me with this prayer now. Let's go back to childhood faith. faith. God is great. God is. And we thank him for our food. Think about that. I didn't realize that as a child. I was not just thanking him for my food. Think about the first line. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. This is an understanding that we need to get in our children. God is great. God is good if I don't have food. There is a dangerous thing that happens. The, 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 the understanding of biblical generations is about a 40-year time span. In the wilderness, after leaving Egypt, in the Exodus, they were in the wilderness. Somebody shout, for how long were they there? 40 years. In this 40-year time period, Joshua said that there arose a what? A generation that did not know the Lord, nor the wonderful works which he had performed For them, they were in the wilderness essentially for one generation. And that generation was the generation that did not know his goodness. 
woke up every morning, threw back the tent flap, pick up their manna, and on Saturday, a double portion. You understand what I'm saying? They have a double portion to be blessed, and it does not spoil. Outside of their tent, every single day, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night. Positioned around the tabernacle in the wilderness. The glory of God shining over that tabernacle. And then when they started griping about manna, God sends them quail. Just stacked up the quail everywhere. And the Bible said while they were still picking quail from their teeth, they began to complain. Because they're measuring God by His abilities of what He can do in their life. How is it that a generation... That their only source of food was God. But when they begin to grumble and complain, they don't even know the source of their blessing. How does that happen? How does dad go out every morning, gather up enough manna for his family, turn around, walk back into the tent, put it out in front of his family, and they, they begin to eat? The miracle of manna is so Amazing, so incredible. It has been said by some of the old sages that when they tried to figure out what the flavor of manna, manna was, that it was said that manna tasted different to every tent. Manna tasted different to everybody that ate it because whatever their body required, that's what manna became. Whatever they were hungry to receive, that's what it became to them. How does the miracle of manna happen and God Bless you every day and you not even know he's the one that's blessing you. Folks, I want to tell you, this society, they do not realize how blessed they are. When times come and wars arise and dark days begin to loom over our nation, it's amazing then how many people turn to God. September 11, 2001, forever changed the dynamic of our nation. And the very next Sunday, churches were full all over the place. You know why? Because they were measuring his greatness by their need at the moment. Oh my God, we've been attacked now on our own ground. We've been attacked on our own land. We need God. No, we needed God before the first plane hit the first tower that morning. We needed God. And I'm going to tell you today, we need God in this nation. We need God more than we need presidents. We need God more than we need Congress. We need God more than we need a Senate. We need an apostolic revival. We need people of God that will get on their knees and declare His excellent greatness. going to make a statement to you today that I don't want to be taken wrong. I'm proud to be an American and thank God for our military. I thank God for them daily. I thank God for the sword, the power that we have behind us and what we're doing. But I'm telling you, if you think our military is the only thing that has protected this nation, and if you think that IDF is the only thing that has protected Israel, you have lost your mind. I'm telling you that God has kept his hand on us. We don't realize how blessed we are. Yes, I'm thankful for every man and woman that give their lives on the front line. That is not what I'm saying. But they are not our only hope. I don't want God to lift his hand off of this nation. I thank God for doctors. I thank God for what they do. 
And if I get down and need a doctor, I'm going to the doctor. But I'm telling you that doctors are not our primary source of healing. I thank God for the wisdom that they have and for what they do. But they got that wisdom from somebody before they ever read a book. I'm telling you today, he is great and he is greatly to be praised. great David Joel Hamilton said this he said the Bible's foundational idea is that an immeasurable God created humanity and everything else that can be measured how can the finite begin to fully comprehend the infinite truth comes as God reveals it to his creation, man. Now, Isaiah, who has probably as much messianic revelation as any Old Testament prophet to have ever lived, he has an understanding of the greatness of God, so much so that when Uzziah dies, who Isaiah loved very much in the same year that Uzziah died, Isaiah had this unique ability to also see the Lord, not just the trouble, not just the brokenness, not just the emptiness, but in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. It was his ability to see beyond his circumstance and know that a little bit above my pain right now, just a, a little bit above my brokenness, a little bit above my grief right now, there is a God that does not stop being God because I am broken. You cannot afford to lose this revelation. You are going to be broken in life. This is not your punishment. This is not because you're a terrible person. It's because you are breathing oxygen. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to lose some things. You're going to go through times of grief. But that does not stop God from being incredible and amazing and phenomenal and great. And so Isaiah, who I feel like has his mind wrapped around the greatness of God pretty well, he begins to ask the questions that were presented this morning in chapter 40 and verse number 12. Who hath measured the waters? This is a picture that is so hard for us to imagine. The other day, um, I was on a, a little short mission to, uh, to move an airplane. And I flew with a friend of mine. We, we got up early that morning and we uh, delivered an airplane to South Florida. And uh, we were at one, one point, the, the highest that we were was 28,000 feet. We were moving around some storms. And at that moment, to me, the storm looked pretty good. It was on my radar. I could see it diverting around to the east, and uh, we made it from Muncie, Indiana to Naples, Florida in just over three and a half hours with diversion around weather. To me, at that moment, that storm was the thing that was on my mind. I want to get around this. I want to get over it. I want to get through it. And there's a neat little button that you can push in GPS systems 
an aircraft now it's crazy it's almost like flying computers with an engine on it and reached up and began to hit the button it's called range somebody say range as I focus in on the storm all I could see around me was storm as we took the GPS screen and we ranged outward and the ring begins to change from 6 miles to 12 miles to 24 miles and it just continues to extend out all of a sudden the thing that is surrounding me becomes smaller and smaller the ability to move away from the trouble and see the greatness of creation is pretty astounding. In the middle of the storm, it feels like the biggest storm you've ever had. Now, it was never dangerous. We were never in trouble. We didn't fly into terrible weather. Don't get That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is at that moment, it was very real to us. We were trying to avoid that. We're trying to get around that, trying to move away from that. But the further out we looked from the storm, the smaller that thing became. And Isaiah asked this question. I I recall uh, as we broke through some clouds looking off in the distance and I could see the Atlantic Ocean on one side and I could see the Gulf of Mexico on the other side. You're talking about looking all the way across a state. And Isaiah said this. He said, who has measured the waters. They're in the palm of his hand, in the hollow of his hand. Who in the world has any way that you could properly measure the waters that are in the palm of his hand? Have you ever, ever stood and looked at a shoreline and realized that all of that water and all of that stuff that's in the deep, somebody had to tell that water where the shoreline was and where its limits were. Can I tell you right now that he is greater than the oceans He is greater than the world. He created, he spoke one word and there was creative order. He separated the firmament. He separated the water and the water by his greatness knew you've got limits. You got limits. You got limits. You can only go this far. I stood watching waves crash in the north end of the Hawaiian island. Saw how consuming it is when it smashes into rocks and the cliffs will be 60, 70, 150 feet and it'll smash and water comes up past the cliff edge. You think, how great is that water? How powerful is that water? And Isaiah said, ah, it's, it's just in the palm of his hand. I want you to think about how many lives have been lost in the open water because it's that much bigger than man. Lord Jesus, I'm trying my best this morning. But he said, listen, the things that have consumed men. Oh, God. Somebody preach to me right now. That thing was so big that it consumed you, but. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He's got you and me, sister, in his hand. He's got the whole wide world. Isaiah paints this picture. He said, it's kind of interesting. The Lord just said, ah, 
this is where I want the heavens to go, so I'll just meet it out with a, let's just do a span. How big is a span? It's big enough. NASA hadn't figured out his span yet. They've been trying. But every time their microscopes and telescopes get powerful, he gets more powerful. Because when they think they found his end, great God Almighty, they realize they haven't even found his beginning. I'm telling you, if you felt a half of what I feel up here right now, you couldn't even stand still. He said, who in the world has been able to measure out his span? When you're reading through a recipe, it'll give you some defined parameters. It'll say you need to add one cup of sugar. You need to measure out one teaspoon of baking soda. But Isaiah said, is there anybody here that's ever been able to comprehend his measure in the dust of the earth? Anybody have any clue just how much dust there is in this earth? I know sometimes in my girls' rooms there's enough. It could intimidate the Lord. The scripture says it like this. He has counted and numbered and knows every hair that's on your head. As Abraham is worried about whether or not he's going to have one son. The promises of God come to him and say, don't worry about the boy. Because as the sands of the sea... And the stars of the sky, I've got you on my mind. He said, you're worried about one generation of what's going to happen with one boy. And you've been trying to figure out how to do it. And walked out of my will to do it another way. And that hasn't worked. So stop worrying about the one thing that's troubling you. And know that I've got bigger things on my mind than what you're looking at right now. Isaiah had an understanding when I tell you right now. You cannot measure the palm of his hand. You cannot measure the waters in his hand. You cannot measure the dust can't do it John Lennon Beatles singer um, he was not a righteous man he had a strange concept of God John Lennon said God is the measure that we measure our pain by he said, God is how I measure my pain. Think about that. And before you judge it too quickly, think about how you've judged him recently. Well, if God was for me, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through. Maybe you've misunderstood his greatness. If God was in control, I wouldn't be sick. He was in control before you got sick. And people say things, I don't know, like, I, I don't know why, God, why God sent me this sickness. See, see, you're measuring him wrong. God doesn't send sickness. The source of that sickness is not God. 
Every good and perfect gift cometh down from our Father. And I know the storm looks big to you right now. But has anybody ever measured the waters that's in the palm of his hand? I love it in verse 18. He said, now who in the world are you going to compare God to? You tell me, who is it that you are going to compare God to? And who can you liken him to? Some of us liken God to what the enemy has brought in our life. And we're saying that God is just big enough to defeat what the enemy has done. But I want you to know that before there was an enemy or a spirit of antichrist working in the earth, there was a God that was greater than any power of darkness. We serve a God whose creation cannot be measured by the created. Isaiah 55 verse 8, so powerful, life-changing scripture. My thoughts. I got to slow this down and get this in your heart this morning. This is the most powerful revelation. Unless you have not been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and you don't know who the mighty God in Christ is, this will be the next most powerful revelation that comes to you in your life. Once you find out who he is and how to be saved, this is it right here. You are not God. You don't think like God. We are not the same. We are not created equal to God. There are not a bunch of angels in the heavens that are equal to God. Yes, the the language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew angels are referred to as Elohim. But it's not because they are so much like God that they share an equality of power. This is the wrong, this is the concept of, of why False doctrine is so wrong. God does not have to divide himself into three equal persons that are co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal to make himself powerful. God was powerful before 324 A.D. when the council of Nicaea met. The world did not have to come together and devise a plan. But here is how it happens. He's so great that we start trying to measure him with our man-made doctrines. And we say, there's no way that one God is that powerful. So the only way that we know how to make him that powerful is to divide him up into dispensation and say that he had to be this great in this dispensation and this great in this one. And we become modalistic in our thinking. How is it possible that God could become a man and lay down his life? Well, for one thing, he can't lay down his life if he's a spirit. If he's going to win a man, he's got to become a man. If he's going to redeem mankind, he has to become a man. And you say, well, pastor, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why God would lower himself to that, why God would bring himself down to that. You're missing it. You're speaking in dispensations. He never stops being God Almighty just because he's God in flesh. He never stops being awesome just because he's hanging on a cross in the flesh. 
His greatness cannot be measured into three distinct persons of deity. You cannot measure him by three distinct persons. No more than you can measure him by a burning bush in a wilderness. No more than you can measure. No, you cannot measure him by separate distinctions of a Godhead. You've got to know that he is God and he is God all by himself. He never stopped being God. Oh, my, my. I don't know how this happens. My wife says it happens all the time. It don't matter what I'm preaching. I end up on the Godhead. You can't measure his greatness by dividing him up and making him something else that surely he would have had to have been to be this good. (laughs) He's good all the time. His thoughts... Are not your thoughts. Somebody say that word's for me. He said neither are your ways. My ways. Now here it comes. Get your measuring tape out. For as high. As the heavens are. Above the earth. Go ahead Abraham. Go ahead. Start counting the stars. I'll wait. Still counting, Abraham? Yeah, yeah, still counting. How far have you got? I, I don't know. I just lost count. Have you figured out yet, Abram? I'm great. Now just look over there to the seashore, Abram. Start counting. Pick it up in your hand if you want to. Put it. Put it in a bottle. I don't care how you do it. Just pick it up and start counting. I, God, I could never count like that. No, but I've already counted what you're still trying to figure out. And with every grain of sand that swept back out into the ocean from the waves that you don't control, I do. I know with every sweep of the wave what was there before the wave and what's left after the wave. And so here's what I want you to know, Abram. I knew what was here before you got here, and I know what's going to be here after. Oh, God. I knew what was here before you walked into your hell, and I know what's going to be left over when you walk out of this thing. I was here before you faced that mountain, and I'll be here when the mountain is gone. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are so much higher. My thoughts, I know the things that I'm thinking about you, and they're great. Psalms 145 and 3. Let's read it together. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. Come on, somebody say this to me right now. Read that last line for me. And his. We're going to take you guys to a deep place right now. You ready? Hope you put your seatbelts on. We're going deep. His greatness is unsearchable. You want to know what that means in the original language? Are you ready? Can we go deep right here for just a second? I'm fixing to hurt you. Your brain's going to start frying like an egg in a pan. Are you ready? You will never figure God out. 
You're welcome. Unsearchable. Brother Gill, that means I can stay up all night. I can worry all week. I can starve myself till I get, till I get uh, uh, what, what, ulcers in my stomach. And when I'm through worrying, the trouble's still going to be there as long as it's going to last. And I can't change it. I can't add a cubit of height to my stature. It's what he said. Worry not for the morrow. Because my greatness is unsearchable. So go ahead and drink some Mylanta. Get your stomach calmed down. Sit back and open up the scripture and say, Who in the world can compare themselves to my God? And who can measure out his greatness? So, he is great. He is greatly to be praised. But I cannot search his greatness. I will never understand it. This is a word for somebody in Philippians 4 and 7 right now. Most of you could quote this, but I'm telling you folks, in the last several months, some of this has had to become more real to me than it's ever been. And the peace of God. Come on, somebody read that to me. What? What? How great is his peace? I don't know. But it's greater than what I can understand. Oh, God. Oh, God. I can't hardly preach right now. Hallelujah. The peace of God. When I feel like I'm losing my mind and I've lost my way, peace of God it passes my understanding I don't know how he's got this but he said it's going to keep your heart and it's going to keep your mind and it's going to happen through Jesus (laughs) my God I wish you could feel what I'm feeling up here right now It feels like I'm standing in a swirling whirlpool of the peace of God until you understand that you will never understand how good His peace is. You'll never know that kind of peace. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. Somebody needs a touch of that peace in your life. Hey! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A unit of measurement is a definite magnitude of a physical quantity defined and adopted by convention and or by law that is used as a standard for measurement of the same physical quantity. Any other value of the physical quantity can be expressed 
as a simple multiple of the unit of measurement. Gerber style, what I'm saying to you is when I say that something is 10 miles from here, that represents a definite predetermined length. 10 miles is actually saying that it is 10 times the predetermined limit or length called a mile. But when I look at the greatness of God and I try to measure him, the only thing I can measure him by is a predetermined attitude that said, well, I guess he was great enough to get me through cancer. I guess he was great enough to get me through disease. I guess he was great enough to save me off of a bar stool. And you begin to compare his greatness to just what he has done. But John said it like this. Greater is he. That is in you. How great is God? He is always greater. How big is my mountain? I don't know, but I know that he is greater than the mountain. I don't know what your family is going through this morning. I don't know what you're facing in your life. You may be all by yourself and not have any family to worry about, but you're still going through it. Here's all I've come to preach to you today. Whatever it is, he is greater. He is greater than a doctor's report. He is greater than a judge's verdict. He is absolutely greater than the trouble that's in your life. He is greater. He is greater. He is greater. If you know that God's been good to you, that's one thing. But if you know that he's greater than good, you ought to give him praise this morning. If you know that his grace is always greater than your sin, give him praise. He's greater. He's greater. He's greater. He's greater. As you remain standing, fixing to take you to a place that we go oftentimes together. We, we quote this a lot. We say it a whole, whole lot. But I need somebody that's in the midst of the thick of it today to get this in your mind. It's not that God is not greater, that he's not bigger, but it's what we measure him by. That's exactly why Psalm 34, David said it like this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Magnify his name. All that means is that I look at my trouble and then God becomes greater than that trouble. I cannot measure him, but I can magnify him. I could never contain him, but I can trust him. And I can know this this morning, that even if it's way over my head, and I cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I don't know how it's going to work out, he is always greater. He is always greater. He is always greater. When we come together, and I've been going through it, but I put my hands together because you're clapping. And I stomp my feet when you stomp your feet. You know what we're doing? We're magnifying the Lord 
together. We are magnifying him together. And when I see you worship through your trouble, and I see you worship through your grief, and I see you worship through your pain, and I've watched you worship through your sickness, you know what we're doing? We're magnifying the Lord together. That's why we have come here this morning. We have come to magnify him. He is greater. beginning of this year the first Sunday of the year we're going to set some things in order I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings I don't want to throw cold water on your fire today but in 2020 some of you are going to go through some things that you're going to need the body of Christ to stand beside you some of you are going to face loss this year some of you are going to lose jobs Some of you are going to get in financial situations that are going to be tough. Pastor, are you prophesying that? No, I'm telling you, life is going to happen this year. But on the first Sunday of this month, of the year, Brandon, we're standing on the word of God. That no matter what happens this year, God is greater. That's why the very first Sunday of the year, I'm declaring to this church, it doesn't matter what we face in 2020, what we go through in 2020, there is one thing that cannot change. That God will always be greater than where I've been. And he'll always be greater than where I've been.